Hello and welcome to The Crashdown, a podcast all about the television show Roswell. My name is CJ and I cannot wait to get started. I am so excited to talk about this show. For the past few weeks, I've been looking for new podcasts to listen to on iTunes. I've been searching for some of my favorite shows, you know, Buffy, iZombie, Orphan Black, Gilmore Girls, that kind of thing. And then I typed in Roswell. And I could not believe that no one was talking about this show. I expected there to be more than one podcast, especially considering it's on Netflix right now. At first, I got bummed out because I love this show and I want more people to love this show. But then I thought, hey, why don't I do it? So here I am coming to you to talk about this amazing show. Maybe I can reach out to some of the other diehard fans. If you've loved the show since it came out in 1999, if you're watching it now for the first time, or if you still have never seen an episode and just wanted to listen to this to hear what it's all about, welcome. Everyone is welcome here to talk about this amazing show. So I'm going to set this up like many other entertainment podcasts. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new episode. I'm going to go in chronological order. So today, we are talking about the pilot. And I have watched this, I don't know, half a dozen times at least. It is amazing. It introduces the characters. It sets up the world. It sets up part of the mystery. It does everything you want it to. You know, you build romances, you build humor, you build a social hierarchy, and the characters only grow from there. So let's get started. The episode begins in Roswell, New Mexico. It's present day, which you've got to remember at the time that was 1999. So we're moving into the new millennium and we're getting interested in space and the future. For me, who was a tween teen around this time, I fell in love instantly. Our main character is Liz Parker, played by Sherry Appleby. And I love her. I've loved her since she was in this show. And I love her now. She was in Life Unexpected, Dating Rules for My Future Self. She's in the amazing TV show Unreal, which I also might be doing a podcast on that. Gotta spread the Sherry Appleby love. She did a stint on Girls. She's fantastic. But in this role, she is a very intelligent young woman who works at the Crashdown Cafe. And her dad owns the diner and she's a waitress and she works with her best friend Maria. And that's where the episode opens. She's waiting tables and it's a big convention in town. So there's a lot of kind of conspiracy theorists, let's say, out and about. At one of the tables she's waiting, there's a lovely couple. You may recognize the actors. They're asking her, because her family has lived in Roswell for generations, if she knows anything or if her family has ever told her anything about what really happened at the crash site in 1947. She leans in close to the table and reaches into her apron pocket and says, I think I can trust you guys, and pulls out a really fake photo of an alien. As soon as she leaves the table, her best friend Maria comes over and tells her that she's terrible. But a girl's got to make her tips somehow, and if these people want to believe that aliens are real, well, she's going to milk them for every penny that they've got. No, she's a, she's a really sweet girl, but she does what she has to do. So while the two girls are punching in orders or refilling ketchup or whatever busy work they find to do about the diner, uh, Maria notices 
and comments that Max Evans is back again and looking at Liz. Liz totally brushes it off and goes about her business. Now, meanwhile, in this busy diner at another table that Maria is serving are two burly-looking gentlemen who are getting in a rather heated argument. All of a sudden, one of them pulls out a gun, they start screaming, and it goes off. And then you just see Liz look down and fall to the ground. She's been shot. Chaos ensues. Both the men flee from the building. Everyone's screaming. The tourists are up from their table. But it's Max Evans that gets there and takes control. He leans over her, puts his hand over the wound. There's a glowing light. He gets flashes of a small girl in his mind. And when he stands up, Liz is healed. He smashes a ketchup bottle and hands it to her, tells her it broke, and tells her not to say anything about what happened. Michael, who was at the table with him, and he rush off and peel out of the parking lot. That is the opening. It's this crazy, chaotic action sequence, and it's cheesy, and I love it. Well, I should say, that's the first action scene. The very opening of the show is a monologue of her sitting on a balcony terrace area off the back of that cafe that adjoins to her bedroom. It's a beautiful spot. And she is talking about how five days ago I died. And then things got really strange. Now she's being a bit facetious because she didn't technically die. She was just very severely wounded. We don't know that she wouldn't have survived if they hadn't rushed to the hospital. Needless to say, this couldn't be covered up. In a diner full of people, the cops are called. So Maria's being questioned, and this is where we get the first taste of what Maria's character is. Besides being kind of ballsy and pointing out that Max is staring at Liz, when the sheriffs, or the deputies rather, are questioning Maria, she pulls out a small vial out of her pocket and starts sniffing it. And it's just essential oils. But she and her mother, a very interesting dynamic, I don't want to get into too many spoilers, are kind of hippies. They believe in kind of a naturopathic medication and cleansing the mind and body, really ahead of her time. And that's what I love about Maria. She's a real tastemaker. You wouldn't know it to look at her because her hair and makeup are slightly awful in the first season, but we'll talk about that later. Maybe in future episodes, there's lots of time to adjust this haircut. I, I can't even get into it. But as the deputies are questioning Liz and her dad, who's rushed back to the diner, and Maria and all the customers, the sheriff walks in. And in the opening, when Maria is telling her that Max is staring, Liz brushes it off, mostly because she has a boyfriend. Loyal, steady Kyle. Maria doesn't seem to approve, though, because those are the characteristics of a dog, not a boyfriend. And lo and behold, when the sheriff walks in, it's Sheriff Valenti, Kyle's dad. This is going to cause a lot of grief and really drives a lot of the conflict. He's willing to cut her a little bit of slack because she is his son's girlfriend, but the customers... The tourists who were at the table, the ones who were coming for this conspiracy sci-fi con, 
notice that there's no bullet hole. They can't find any bullet and no marks in the wall. So if the gun was fired, where did the bullet go? Now this gets him thinking, and he notices that one of the tables is vacant, even though there was clearly someone eating at it. And what's on the table? Tabasco sauce. Now this, again, this pilot is amazing because it sets up so many things without saying a word. Right now it's just a clue. Maybe they like spicy food. But whoever was at that table might have seen something. Why did they flee the scene? Later that night, after all of the chaos of the day has subsided, Liz goes back to her room above the crash down and is changing for bed. But when she takes her top off, yes, scandalous, but when she looks down, there's a silver handprint that's glowing on her stomach, right where she was shot, right where Max healed her. It really freaks her out. So she hides her dress and everything that was soaked in blood. She shoves it in her book bag and tries to forget about it. But the next day at school, in science class, lo and behold, she is paired up with Max Evans. And because it's science class, they are studying cell structure under a microscope. Part of the class assignment is to compare plant cells with organic human cells. And immediately, as soon as Max walks into the class and gets his assignment, he asks to leave to go to the washroom again. Well, he's gone, though, our clever scientist Liz takes the pencil he was chewing on and swabs it and looks at the cells under the microscope. But she can't believe what she's seeing. She looks again, but what's there just doesn't make any sense to her. So after class, she confronts him. She pulls him into the music room where Kyle just happens to be hanging out. And he seems to want to talk to her about a future date, but... She just says they have to study biology and basically escorts him out of the room. So once she has Max alone, she starts to second-guess herself. She asks him what she's seeing couldn't be real. Could it? She must be mistaken. He needs to come with her and they can do the test again. But he decides to come clean. The test wasn't a mistake. He explains that he's not from around here. She kind of questions this and he just points up. And the lighting in this scene, the lighting in this whole show is amazing. There's this glowing ethereal light surrounding them from above. It's a halo. It's angelic. It's otherworldly. It's like a hug. And, oh, I ship these characters so hard. You don't even know. This was like one of my first TV couples that I was just dying to get together because, Oh, the looks that they're giving each other across the room, even when they're totally terrified or utterly confused. It's so sweet. Anyway, he's just standing there under this halo of light, pointing upwards, and she says, what, north? And he points even higher, and she stutters, not like an, an alien, and he confesses, yes, that's exactly what he is. Of course, she doesn't take this very well and tries to run out of the room, but he beats her to the door and keeps it closed and tells her she can't tell anyone about this. Not Maria, not her parents, no one. His life is now in her hands. In the next scene, we get to meet one of my favorite characters on the show, one of my favorite actors in real life. I think just one of my favorite people, Colin Hanks. 
He plays a character named Alex, who is best friends with both Maria and Liz. And ever since Liz was shot and is faking that nothing happened, she's been really distant because Maria is a very strong, pushy person and when she's determined, she's not going to rest until she gets an answer. So the best way to not spill your secrets is to not be near her. But Maria started to notice and she starts to talk to Alex about it. What's Liz hiding? What's she doing? Why didn't she sit next to me in class this morning? And now Alex is kind of getting sick of it. So he plays the middleman and goes to Liz. But Liz tries to blow him off too. This isn't her secret to tell. Meanwhile, out in the desert at some sort of, I don't know, taco? Nacho stand? Max, his sister Isabel, and best friend Michael, who was at the crash down, are all sitting at a table eating together. Max is having to confess that he saved Liz. Michael is freaking out. And so is Isabel, Catherine Heigl. We'll get into it. Um, because they swore that they would keep their gifts a secret. That is right. All three of them are aliens. Max tries to call her out and says that she uses her powers all the time. He saved someone's life. And not just anyone's life. It was Liz. Michael's first reaction is that they have to get out of town. This is it. It's go time. He didn't quite get the life that Isabel and Max did. You learn later on when they were children. They came out of their pods and wandered through this New Mexico desert. Max and Isabel were found together and adopted by the Evans family. Michael was not. He was put in foster care. And as such, he's been rather neglected. He doesn't have roots here. Max and Isabel do, so they are very resistant to just leaving town. But if their secret comes out, they might not have a choice. Max tells them he thinks that they can trust Liz and wants to give it more time. Isabel is just really paranoid about some government agency capturing them and cutting them apart, studying them, doing a biopsy on them while they're still alive. She has no idea what's going to happen. Max seems to have the final say, though, and says that they're going to bide their time since it's basically two against one. They're sticking put. On the drive home, they get pulled over by none other than Sheriff Valenti. Michael panics again, tells him to just take off, but Max just plays it cool and pulls over to the side of the road. The sheriff just wanted to give them a warning about what happened at the diner and tell them to be safe. But then he notices Michael kicks a Tabasco bottle. Hmm. He's putting the pieces together. He doesn't say anything, just tells them to watch their speed and lets them go about their business, but Michael's got his back up against the wall now and they're all pretty paranoid. Back with Liz, she's just wrapping up another date with Kyle. It kind of awkwardly ends, there doesn't seem to be a lot of chemistry, there's not really a nice goodnight kiss or anything like that. Kyle calls her out for being a bit absent, but she just says she's been stressed. Although she does ask him if he ever feels things about her. Kyle instantly says, sure. Like what? 
And this is what I love about Kyle. He is so ready to agree with whatever you're saying, even if he has no idea what you're actually talking about. He is like a total puppy dog. As soon as you turn on that happy voice, he's wagging his little tail. It doesn't matter what you're saying to him. He's just, he's so lovable. Oh, poor little Kyle. Oh, I love Kyle. <laughs> I love all these characters. I always say every character is my favorite. Whatever character I'm talking about at the moment is my favorite, you guys. That's just the new system in place. Anyways, right before they say goodbye, she reaches for her door key. Her shirt rides up and Kyle sees the silver handprint on her stomach. Now this is going to come back because I don't know if it happened in casual conversation or whether he ratted her out, but he goes and tells his dad. Max, meanwhile, feeling the pressure from his friends and family, goes and tries to talk to Liz on her balcony terrace. He tells her how important this is. He also says that he wanted to tell her before. And she's surprised because why her? She still doesn't really trust him. She has so many questions. But he says he's going to try and reverse that connection that he felt. Because he saw flashes when he was healing her of a little girl in a cupcake dress. And it was a dress that her mom had made for her three years before Max moved to town. That was something he could never know, but he saw it when he connected. And so he touches her again, and she sees through his eyes of being alone in that desert as a child, of growing up in fear and isolation, and how scary it was to go to a school with all these new kids and not be able to tell anyone the truth, not their adoptive parents, not their friends, no one up until this point. And then she sees herself through his eyes. And there's a beautiful line. I love the writing in this show. The line is something to the effect of, and in his eyes, I was beautiful. And it's not about her face. It's just about that feeling of, of course he wanted to tell her. He sees her and he smiles. His soul is happy. It's free. He sees a kindred spirit there and oh I think that's why I love them together so much in this unspoken connection after this happens she even says it's like he's cast a spell on her she almost becomes a little obsessed meanwhile she keeps trying to keep Maria at bay she doesn't want to let on she doesn't want anyone to know what's going on she tells Alex that everything's cool and then she gets called into Valenti's office he starts questioning her, and here we start another mystery. There are so many plot lines and stories that thread throughout all of these seasons. So, yes, maybe a lot doesn't happen in an episode, but when you look at the series as a whole, there are so many progressions on plot and character. It's really incredible to watch those story arcs. I am so excited to get to go through this process again and to be able to actually talk about it again. And I want to get your feedback on all of this. Oh, I'm so ahead of myself. I can't even wait. Oh, I'm so excited. So now this mystery, Liz is brought in and he reveals that Kyle mentioned the silver handprint and shows her some photos from November 16th 1959. It's of a dead body with an identical silver handprint on it. He then asks Liz to reveal her stomach and not in a creepy kind of pedophile way. And she does, but now the mark has vanished. 
And he says that's too bad, but the mark vanished on the body, too, so it's to be expected. He then returns her book bag to her, but it's missing her bloody uniform with the bullet hole. He lets her go because there's not much more he can do, but he does bring in an outside force. He is seen in a meeting with another man discussing this situation, saying there's, there could be more to this situation. The other man agrees to send the apron and the uniform to the lab to be inspected, but that there's alien sightings out in the Midwest that are way more important and credible than this situation. And even alludes to the fact that Sheriff Valenti's father was known as Sergeant Martian. Again, one little line, and it's hinting at so much backstory and so much history and pressure and parallels that we're going to approach one line. It's brilliant how they reveal information on this show. Now, after all this craziness and Liz sees the handprint, she freaks out and asks Max to tell her the whole truth. She has questions and she needs answers. One of the questions is, where is he from? He has no idea, and he has no idea why he's there. But he does have powers, he can make connections with people, and he can change the molecular structure of matter. He demonstrates by shaping and molding clay with the wave of a hand, but they can change the color of nail polish or mustard into ketchup or brown hair blue, all sorts of crazy things. They don't even delve into all of the powers. I would love to have a reboot of this show where they really got into some more powers because I think the possibilities are endless. Anyways, he doesn't have any answers. All he knows is that somehow he did come in the ship in 1947 and that he was in a pod and in some sort of cryostasis incubator and hatched years, well not really hatched, but yes, kind of from this pod, years later as a small child. Him, Isabel, and Michael. And like I said, no one else knows the secret, not their parents. It's too big a risk. Now that she's got her answers, she decides to return the favor and tells him the information that Sheriff Valenti shared with her. Max is stoic as always, but decides that Michael's right. It's time to go. Michael is now fascinated. There's another one out there. He wants to meet him. This person might have answers. This person might be family. But Isabel thinks he's crazy. The only thing they know is possibly in 1959 they may have had a relative and that person is probably a killer. It's crazy. Now, this is the scene where Maria really presses for the truth. She's hit her limit. She's hit her wall. She can't deal with this evasive lying anymore. She, in full alien costume, because it is now the night of the grand crashdown festival, to celebrate the anniversary of the alien ship crashing down, she shows up in a green outfit from head to toe and stands on Liz's bed and demands to know the truth. Liz really doesn't want to share, but this is her best friend, and if she doesn't, Maria threatens to go to the cops. She doesn't have a ton of information, but she knows Max was at the diner. She knows something bad happened between those guys, and she knows that there was blood on her order book. 
Liz finally breaks down and confesses that Max is an alien and he heals her. And you don't see this, but Maria reacts in typical Maria fashion, which is to freak out. It just cuts to her screaming, running out of the building, waving her arms in the air, Liz chasing after her. They jump in Maria's mom's Jetta and peel off down the road, only to see Max, Isabel, and Michael making a run for it too. Liz grabs the wheel, does a U-turn, pins them in an alley, and this is when Maria learns that yes, in fact, all three of them are aliens and she's even more paranoid. Basically, Liz confronts Max about what he's doing. They're on their way out of town, but Liz tells them that's a terrible idea. If they run now, it's only going to cement that they're guilty or that there's something suspicious there in Sheriff Valenti's mind. They have to stay. They have to play it cool. But Michael is losing it at that point. The only ones thinking clearly are Liz and Max. Not, not quite so much Max, but he decides to do the honorable thing and offers to sacrifice himself to Valenti to tell him the truth about himself in order to divert suspicion from the rest of them. Of course, Isabel doesn't want her brother being investigated because it could turn to her anyways, so she agrees to accept Liz's plan. This is where it becomes a bit of a farce, and I love when it's this game of cat and mouse, this tag, spy versus spy, this is the drama, this is the intrigue, this is the thriller, yet comedy aspect of the show. Oh, it's so good. So they decide to trust Liz. So she puts her plan into action, and she goes right over to Kyle's house. He opens the door and does not look impressed. He waited at that festival for her for an hour and a half, because of course he would. He's a puppy dog, and an hour and a half, he's so whipped. Oh, Kyle... But Liz is now dressed in a sexy Ripley outfit. She's got the slick back hair. She's got the leather. She looks like she could have just been slimed on by one of the aliens. You know, sexy, sexy stuff. And Kyle is instantly won over. She tells him she's really sorry and that he should meet her in half an hour by the podium. Michael doesn't think this will work, but Max really pushes through. When they get to the festival, Valenti is out in full force with all his deputies, and he actually almost starts stalking Max. He gets him alone behind a bunch of RVs and starts questioning him, confronting him about whether he was really at the crash down. Max confesses and says he was just scared and that's why he ran. Valenti doesn't seem to be buying it. Cut to Maria and Isabel in the parking lot. Maria in her alien getup, although Isabel's in an alien getup too. She's got kind of cone boobs, which Alex points out. He seems to have quite the crush on her, but they leave him behind because he's not in on their little secret alien party. But Maria's rolling around in the dirt and very reluctantly hands the keys to Isabel, saying the key to her and her mother's relationship is not destroying this car. And you still kind of don't know what this plan is. Everyone's just all over the place, and Max is actually now almost getting roughed up. But then, a squealing comes from the parking lot, and you see the car rush towards Maria, her on the ground, the car race away, and then an alien caution. Well, they're all aliens. But a bug-headed creature with a reddish 
metallic cape rushes over to Maria. Because of all the commotion, Valenti rushes over, Liz rushes over, everyone rushes over, including the tourists who were in the very first opening diner scene. And they get there just in time to see that bug-headed creature leaning over Maria. It leaves a silver handprint on her and then rushes off to the crowd. Valenti makes sure that Maria's okay and then takes off after the masked man until he spots the costume he's looking for. And when he grabs the guy on the shoulder and he turns around, it's none other than Kyle Valenti. That's right. Threw them off the trail. The rest of the group might as well high-five because they might have just pulled this off. You see Michael unmasking in one of the porta-potties, and as soon as Valenti realizes that Kyle obviously wasn't the one pranking him, he looks down and sees silver paint on his hand. It was a setup. He goes to Max again and actually shoves him against the wall of an RV, but Max just stays calm. He says he didn't do anything wrong, he had nothing to do with this, he's just a kid, and then he asks if he's under arrest, and of course the sheriff has nothing on him, so he has to let him go, for now. And that is basically the first episode. I mean, so much happens, you're setting up all this mystery, all these reveals, you're building our core group of characters, and you're setting up all these kind of foes, and different dynamics, and... Oh, oh, I I won't even get into all their friendships and all their character arcs because we have so many episodes to talk about all of this stuff. But to wrap up the episode, um, after our group of heroes have pulled off, for the most part, their little stunt, the festival is coming to a head. And as they're counting down to the crash ship, they actually have a faux mini-scale ship on a set of wires that rushes to the ground and then a series of fireworks goes off. And our three aliens look on very longingly because if there were creatures who died in that crash, they were probably family. They were their last link to their home world about why they're here and what happened. What's their purpose? It's kind of a sad moment and meanwhile everyone else is celebrating and going mad. And one of our final scenes is Max and Liz, and they're perfectly framed by the fireworks and sparklers going off in the background. I feel like there is so much chemistry between these two. But Max, being the ever-logical one, says it's just not safe for them to be together. There's so much going on, there's so much at stake with such a big secret he can't let anyone in. It's been the three of them for so long, that's the way it's got to stay. And one of his last lines to her is, see what's school, which comes back in the second episode. But she thanks him. She said she never did thank him for saving her life. And he thanks her in return because without her, he wouldn't have, he would have left town. He would have left any home that he had ever known. And the series concludes with yet another diary entry saying several days ago I died then I came to life it's very cliche but I've got to think even shows that I watch now like the vampire diaries that started very much with diary entries almost every day I mean one of the opening scenes is Nina Dobrev's diary and then cutting to Paul Wesley's diary sorry I 
I love the actress. Um, but yeah, they're, they're two characters going back and forth about where they are emotionally and I think that's just part of the teen genre. You're coming into yourself, you're finding an identity, and you need a way to channel that. You can't talk to your parents anymore, and you're so worried about being rejected by your friends that you need a place to just vent and be yourself and process emotion. And there are a lot of emotional touchstones throughout this show, and I think a big one is this loneliness aspect of isolation and fear and always feeling like the outsider. So I want to talk about that in future episodes too, but I think I've rambled enough for today. So if you have any comments or questions or things that you want me to watch out for in future episodes, email me at thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com. Thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com. How simple is that, guys? That's what the podcast is called, and that's what it is. It's a podcast. So it's thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com. Super easy. Questions, comments, review on iTunes, and I will talk at you again next week.